Welcome to Planet Geo, the podcast where we talk about our amazing planet, how it works, and why it matters to you. I don't have anybody. Nobody's on my team. Nobody's on my side here. What a big bummer. I'll be on your team, Jesse. You'll be on my side? You'll stick up for me, Chris? I'm always on your team, Jesse. You, you are. You're always on my side. I am. I appreciate I'm a, that. I'm I a loyal, loyal person. You that are. You, you are. Uh, when you go into like pit bull mode, it's pretty good. I uh, I need somebody in my mm-hmm. corner though. Every once in a while, I'm not feeling. I'm not feeling the love <laughs> at the moment. <laughs> oh, I I got nothing but love. Christopher Balhuis, what's up, man? How you doing, Jesse? I, I'm good, man. It's Thanksgiving break here in the U.S. We got a sort of long weekend. What are we recording this? Yeah, this this will come out in a couple of days. Yeah, we got a long weekend ahead of us. It's kind of nice. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. We got nice weather here in Pennsylvania. It's beautiful. Yeah, it is beautiful here too today. So, well, I've said it before. I'll say it again because you weren't super thrilled with how I said it last time. I wasn't emphatic enough for you, but uh, <laughs> I was wrong, Christopher. I was wrong. I will take that one standing up and say i was wrong about the plate tectonics ones we actually got a lot of questions about this do you know plate tectonics theme that we're i don't know a third of the way into halfway into, not just like questions that. we touched a nerve we got we got emotions too really you know? good questions really good comments really good thoughts from from a lot of you so today we're gonna have office hours we're just gonna talk about a couple of the uh, I don't. I wouldn't say more interesting, but a couple of the ones we could talk about for a while. A couple of the questions and comments that we thought we could speak about with some clarity for a little bit. I like that. Did you just come up with that? You've never said that before. Office hours. That's. I like that. Well, clever, I'm Jesse. stealing it from another podcast that I listen to frequently. So, oh, okay. <laughs> shamelessly stealing. I like it. <laughs> that's okay. Yeah, that's what we do, right? As exactly. educators, that we steal. We recognize good things and we steal it and we own it. That is that's that exactly is the number right. one trait of a good educator <laughs> right there. So yep. So where are we starting, Chris? We are gonna start with a kind of a question about plate tectonics, subduction, and the water that is involved in subduction and really right, Jesse, the source of the water, the question kind of centered around whether the water was more about waterlogged sedimentary rocks that get dragged down to subduction zones, or is most of the water from water driven out or wrung out of the basalt that is subducted down. Let me interrupt there real quick, Chris. So this comes from Doug, this question, but Doug also pointed out that we might have glossed over some of the important aspects of sedimentary rocks as well. (laughs) And that's a fair point. We, I don't know, we tend to move quickly through sedimentary rocks. You and I, Chris, it's not, I wouldn't say our necessarily favorite category of rocks. Is that accurate? Well, no, no, hold on. I I have some things I want to say about that. You just (laughs) said a mouthful right there. So give me a second. All right. First of all, I think it's hilarious with what Doug said about sedimentary rocks, because we got people that were defending sedimentary rocks and that we glossed over them. And then we got people that (laughs) felt the other way completely that we gave (laughs) sedimentary rocks way too much credit. Uh, Um, People are passionate about their sedimentary rocks, either one way or another. It's great. I love it. Yeah, I do want to say, touching to Doug's point about sedimentary rocks and maybe that we glossed over it, I want to be transparent with this. When I talk about sedimentary rocks with my students in my class, I give them full credit. Sedimentary rocks are arguably the most important rocks on the planet. I mean, they hold all of our water. They hold our our petroleum, our natural gas. I mean, they hold the things and, and ores also. I mean, they hold the things that literally make the world go round. And so they are exceedingly important. Absolutely, Chris. And 
I do the same thing in my class, you know, sediments, as you're saying, a lot of what we care about as societies from a minerals and resources perspective comes from sedimentary rocks. And we talk about them quite substantially in Camp Geo as well. So go check out the link in the show notes to get access to our conversational textbook. We have a whole chapter on sedimentary rocks. And Kathy, um, you know, we, we didn't manage to convince you sedimentary rocks are super useful, but <laughs> I do appreciate, uh, Kathy, we re- I really appreciated the phrase igneous rules, sedimentary drools. That was a really good one. I might, uh, I might steal that one too in class. <laughs> I got to interject, Jesse. I, I just had an idea. Uh Oh, here we go again. Oh boy. Don't oh, argue no. with me. I'm Chris always right. an idea. I, uh, hey, <laughs> oh, it is apparent. We need to do a little mini series on sedimentary rocks. I would just do. We did that, man. It's called Camp Geo Chapter Three: Sedimentary Rocks. No, but I'm talking about like no, no. I understand that. Okay, that was like I'm talking about the subtleties of sedimentary rocks and why they are so important. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. We didn't do that in Camp Geo. We just we did the basics. I'm talking about all right. What's in them? Why are they important? We can talk a little bit about fracking, uh, the controversy behind that. Don't argue with me. I am I'm right on this. You need to stop this. (laughs) Oh no, the ego has run away. Oh no, I've created a monster here. Oh good. Okay. All right. Can we come back to Doug's question here a minute because it's a really interesting one about. So we had talked no, about. Hold on, I'm going to say I want listener feedback on this one. Sedimentary rocks, yes or no? Send us an email, planetgeocast at gmail dot com. We want, and know. I want listener feedback on Chris Bullheis. Always right, yes or no, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> send us an email. No, please vote don't. yes or no. Don't. My wife will be the first one to respond to that. Yeah, Jenny will just <laughs> mass vote on that one. Um, so, uh, all right, let's will. come back to Doug's question here, which was yep, let's go. basically kind of the idea behind it is that like, what is the vector? What is the source? How is water getting down into the mantle? Like what rock is kind of bringing it down there? Right. And, you know, there's a couple different ways we could envision this. It could be really waterlogged sediments. You know, we've got these clay minerals right on the top of the seafloor that have a ton of water in them, actually poor space water. Or we could have things like hydrated oceanic crust, the top couple kilometers of the oceanic crust will be basalt, but that basalt will have interacted with water. It won't really have water in the vugs or pore spaces, but it'll have hydrated minerals. And the question is like, how does Hold water? On. Yeah, I think you need to define real quick what hydrated minerals are a second. Can you do that? Yeah, absolutely. That's a good point. So hydrated minerals are mineral groups or a mineral structure that has an OH group. So it basically has an OH group hanging off the end of the mineral formula. And so things like amphiboles will have calcium, magnesium, silica, oxygen, and then there'll be some OH in the mineral formula. There's an OH group at the end, and that can fit into larger areas within the crystal structure that water will be in there. So, so water OH, it's not H2O, but it's OH is integral to the mineral structure. And when you put that mineral under high pressure, that OH group will be squeezed out and will bond with one hydrogen to form water. And then that water can move through other rocks as well. So we don't think of it as liquid water. We think of it as an OH group, which to us in our nomenclature is water in effect in a mineral structure. To you chemists out there, you're thinking that's a hydroxide, which you're correct. The hydroxide gets driven off, bonds with another hydrogen, forms H2O. So anyway, um, the question is though, Jesse, that really kind of centers around, to me, the way I interpret it, which one is more important? Because both are at play. We have waterlogged sediments 
from sedimentary rock shales and sandstones and limestones that are you know loaded with water in the pore spaces. Some of that gets shoved down into the subduction zone. Some of it gets scraped off and forms that accretionary wedge, which can lead to the coastal range and all that. But some of it is dragged down in that subduction zone. So that's one source. The other source is, like you said, that hydrated kind of basalt that is a part of the chemical formula of the minerals that make up basalt. So which one is the most important? I think that's really the heart of the question. Yeah, I would agree that that's kind of the heart of of what this question is getting after. And it's a really interesting one because we can kind of come back to sort of first principles to answer it. So those sediments, as you've said before, Chris, tectonics pushes things up. Erosion knocks things down, things being mountains. Those mountains, the stuff exposed above the sea level is continental crust, mostly right now. Okay, sure, there's places like Hawaii where there's a little bit of basalt exposed, but volumetry does not affect much about the composition of sediments globally. So the sediments are mostly continental crust, and the composition of continental crust is such that it is quite buoyant. And so the sediments, therefore, will be a composition which is felsic, it's a pretty buoyant composition. So even if sediments make it down into the slab, they're pretty buoyant and they kind of what we call relaminate. They kind of bounce back up. It's like a bobber. If you got a bobber and a bobber sitting on the surface of the water and you try and tap it down, you can knock it down. You can actually knock it down pretty far if you hit that bobber really hard, but it bounces back up. And that's the way to think about sediments as they're kind of in that slab interface. They usually don't make it down super, super, super deep. They can get down a little ways and then they kind of bob back up and kind of get plated to the underside of the crust. So let's answer the question then, Jesse. Which one is more important, do you think? The waterlogged sediments, the sandstones, the shales, and the limestones, or is it the hydrated basalt? What do you it's, think? Yeah, it's absolutely the hydrated basalt. When it comes to forming volcanoes on subduction zone margins, so forming the ring of fire, it's the oceanic crust. It's the basalt going down because that stuff, that generates this kind of conveyor belt where the oceanic crust goes down, it gets dense, and then it's that anchor that pulls the rest of the oceanic plate down with it, which just drags a whole lot more water down very deep. Good point. And then why is this important? And and I think like we need to hit on that again. This is very, very important. The water that gets dragged down in subduction zones, because that water that gets driven off rises up into that very hot mantle rock and causes partial melting. So the addition of water lowers the melting point of minerals, which causes then some of those lower temperature pressure minerals to melt. And they form then the source of the magma for the volcanism that occurs on the surface. So it's extremely important. Absolutely. It's it's very important. It is this conveyor belt process, which recycles water from the surface down into the mantle, then back up the volcano and then out in volcanic gases. This leads to one of the most common misconceptions that exist in geoscience is that subduction zones, that oceanic plate melts in the subduction process and really it doesn't. It remains relatively cool, relatively brittle. The water that gets driven off of it is important because that melts then the hot mantle rock above the subduction zone. So 
I think like in introductory, you know, students, when they're first exposed to this, I think it's easy for them to conceptualize that it's the basalt that melts and it's really not. And so that's why this is a really important question from, from Doug. Yeah, that's exactly right. And because it's not the basalt melting when the basalt dehydrates controls a lot of where the mantle melts and where it melts and, and, and the sort of structure of this subduction zone in the details can vary a lot on earth. Sometimes melting is happening deeper down, sometimes a little bit shallower, depending upon when that slab dehydrates when you described it as a sponge being wrung out having the water wrung out of it so when that happens at what depth that happens really controls where the mantle is melting which controls a whole bunch of other things including like economic mineral deposits that often exist in sediments on the top of the the top of the eventual magma chamber that reaches the surface so great question really sort of detailed answer there but it's a question that points to a really fundamental process uh, in a really important consideration when we're thinking about sediments and plate tectonics. Good stuff. All right. What's next, Jesse? So yeah, we've got a really, uh, another really insightful question from Kathy about, uh, there's a couple questions tied into here, but it's basically <laughs> asking about water and how water cycles on a planet through plate tectonics and how it might cycle differently on a planet without plate tectonics. For instance, if we didn't have plate tectonics, would we just have one global ocean? How much water is being lost to space right now? This is kind of a lot tied up in this question. So Chris, where did your mind go when you read this really great question from Kathy? And thank you, Kathy. I go to this very oversimplified thought that in geosciences, there are two opposing forces, forces that lift things up, and that would be plate tectonics, and forces that wear things down kind of like a big, huge belt grinder from above, just gradually and relentlessly scrubbing everything and making everything flat, and they oppose each other. And so the question really was, well, what happens if plate tectonics stops? What will our planet look like? It is a very interesting thing. Now, you have to understand, too, that this is grossly oversimplified in terms of the analogy that I gave. There are more forces going on. But if plate tectonics were to cease, weathering and erosion then becomes the dominant force. Basically, it's going to level everything out, right? The sediments from continental crust are going to get worn down. They'll be carried by rivers into the oceans. The ocean basins will become less deep then because of you know the sediments that accumulate. However, this is where it gets exceedingly complicated because if you just keep dumping sediments into the ocean basins, the ocean basins aren't just going to fill up nicely. That's not really what happens. The weight of the sediment is going to cause them to downwarp. You know, and we've talked about that in previous episodes, that's called isostasy or isostic adjustment, which is going to allow for more sediment accumulation. You know, the net effect, of course, the continents are going to become very flat, kind of Nebraska-esque, if you will. You know, it, absolutely. And, and, it, yeah, I think you're exactly right, Chris. That's, if we just stop plate tectonics, no more mountain building, we'd have a lot of flat surface. We'd have a lot of flat stuff right around sea level, mostly. But then we'd have to think about how the climate evolves. And do we melt all the glaciers? And that raises sea level a couple hundred meters, probably. I don't remember the exact number. We talked about it in our episode with Richard Alley. I'd have to look back and see what the number is there, but a substantial amount. So the sea level change depends a lot on the climate and whether ice is at the poles or not. And the way my mind, well, first of all, there's a little side question here, which is, are we currently losing water molecules to outer space at the moment? And the answer is partially yes. We lose hydrogen. 
that's the lightest element. And so some hydrogen is kind of swept away. Earth has a pretty strong magnetic field, so we retain a lot of that. But if you kind of remove that magnetic field, then a decent amount could be swept away. Some is retained by just the gravity pulling at the atmosphere, pulling at the gas molecules. Like for instance, Venus has a very thick atmosphere and it retains it and it's super thick, super dense, super toxic. Mars has none. So when we're thinking about these planetary scale processes, it gets really complicated. Like we have to think about climate, gravity, magnetic fields, tectonics, cycling of all of these elements. And actually, it's really hard to model these because they're nonlinear. These things kind of have feedback loops in them that make them really nonlinear. The way I went, and I know I'm rambling, Chris, so stop me here and keep me out of the weeds <laughs> with this last little point. But I have one more point I want to make, which is that there's a really good amount of evidence and most of the community agrees that the early earth sort of pre three billion years ago so earth from 4.3 billion years to about three billion years was what we call Hold a on. i'm gonna just let everybody know that i'm gonna take a sip of beer while you're rambling here because i think i should <laughs> okay. i kind of i like, can see you glazing you, i can see you glazing over <laughs> you, you're just about kicking your feet up there on your desk just like all right i'll just sit this one That's out right. and <laughs> wait for him to yeah, end. I have things to say, but I'm going to wait. <laughs> okay. So basically the Archean, what we call the early Archean, three older than 3 billion years ago was a water world. Continents were not above sea level. And my opinion, you'll get a lot of disagreement about this, but my opinion is that plate tectonics was operative then. So plate tectonics was going on there. Just, we didn't have continents floating above sea level yet. We had all the stuff about plate tectonics, but it was just below sea level, which changes sediments. You don't have as much sediment uh, production and all that kind of stuff. So anyway, that's kind of where my mind drifted to <laughs> as I was reading Kathy's question. So, all right, here's, can I say where my mind yeah, drifted yeah, to then in term, because you kind of switch gears, you switch to the other question about water molecules, right? Oh yeah. Sorry about that. Um, I think, and, and I want you to correct me if, you know, if I'm wrong here, Jesse, but uh, you know, generally speaking, we're not losing water molecules to space. Earth has enough gravity to hold them. Our magnetosphere holds these things in. Generally speaking, we're not. But there is something else going on that our oceans are destined to to leave us. We're talking now geologic time. And in about a billion years, Earth is going to have a real problem because at that point, the sun will have heated up enough and gotten a little bit bigger, which it's doing, which is going to cause the oceans to boil away. And so will Earth turn the way of Venus if that's what happens. I mean, you know, that's a it seems to be the inevitable fate. I think there's a lot of agreement on that, that that's what's going to happen to the oceans. We'll be kind of a hothouse planet like Venus, where it's sort of inhospitable, but the oceans have boiled away. And once that happens, it's really hard for tectonics to operate. And basically, the Earth starts to become exactly like Venus. So we'd be outside of the habitable zone at that point. That's right. I mean, really, we're losing water molecules, but right now, not not anything that I think humanity needs to be worried about. But in the future, but not really related to plate tectonics or anything like that, we, we will be losing water molecules <laughs> a lot. So the last, uh, the last little point I just want to kind of end wrap up here is that David sent us a question. Well, more of a comment, really, that gravity is really important for formation of sedimentary rocks and the movement of earth's plates. And we completely agree with that. Uh, you know, gravity is ultimately the sort of driver of a lot of these processes. But I think, you know, that is another thing that we need to consider when we're thinking about plate tectonics on other planets. And I think Chris next episode in our so you think you know plate tectonics series i think is on 
planetary plate tectonics and what's going on in other planets, which I'm super excited about. But um, anyways, this is something you need to think about because other planets have very different gravity dynamics, have more gravity, less gravity, and that can affect how any potential plate tectonic regime might operate. So that's the only other comment I have is to say, yeah, great point, David. And um, hopefully we'll come back to that a little bit. That's right. Yeah, we can put, we can do the planetary geology next. That's fine. I'm I'm excited about that one. (laughs) Near and dear to my heart a little bit. It is, it is, which is a little surprising to me. I mean, you know, I never really thought of you as a planetary geology kind of guy, but you're really excited. It's kind of your, your thing. Well, get into that. Everybody's very excited about planetary science and planetary geology. And I'm excited about the early earth which is basically another planet. And so I use it to my advantage when it behooves me to sell myself as a planetary geologist. Let's put it that way. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's interesting. I guess I never thought about it in that perspective. I had not either until a couple years ago, uh, which I was like, oh, okay, yeah. I think somebody said it at a meeting and I was like, oh, that's actually really interesting. I'm going to use that one. Again, back to stealing, just stealing stuff. (laughs) Hey, don't be ashamed of that. That's what we all do. Whatever works, whatever works. That's right. All right, well, Um, we- So do we, is there a job at NASA in your future then? Is that what you're saying? (laughs) Yeah, they're recruiting me to run. NASA? I don't know if you've heard about this. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, I, I doubt uh, I'm right. not nearly smart enough to work at NASA. I have a couple friends who work at NASA and they are very smart, but mm, not me. I would disagree with you there, Jesse. You're selling <laughs> your your, uh, your mind a little short. Um, well, so anyway, Chris, hey man, I think that's a wrap for Office Hours today. This was really great. Lots of great questions. Keep them coming. And uh, if you're in the US, I hope you're enjoying the long weekend. If you want to reach out, you can send us an email. We are planetgeocast at gmail.com. Go to our website, planetgeocast.com. And there you can find out about us. You can subscribe, find social media links to all of our Instagram and Twitter and Facebook accounts. You can support us there. And you can find links to Camp Geo, our conversational textbook for the geosciences. The link is the first one in the show notes too. Click on that. Let us know what you think. We like it. More content is being uploaded to that all the time. So what's the other thing, Chris, people got to do? They have to share our podcast with people that care about this planet or people that should care about this planet. Plus, you know what? This is, I love doing this with you, Jesse. I absolutely love doing this with you. It's fun. Every time we sit across the table from each other and, and just chat about geology, it, does, it just doesn't get any better than that. It's good I stuff. I agree. Having a beer, sit, putting your feet up and listening to me rambling on about random <laughs> stuff. Pretty good. No, I, right I agree, on. Chris. You know, and it warms my heart. There's no email I like to receive more than, hey, we just found your podcast. One of our friends shared it with us and it's awesome. We love it. Like that just, that makes me happy. People are, are willing to share uh, because I think it, it's a representation that you find it valuable. So, do that for us. We appreciate it. All right. Take care. Cheers.